What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Matthew Anthony Hawkins here with Around Town in Chilliwack. Around Town in Chilliwack is a podcast featuring local people that are doing interesting work. John Martin is our local MLA here in Chilliwack, a provincial politician that is very approachable, very down to earth, and, and very wise. I, uh, I've really appreciated the time that I've been able to spend with John. He stands up for Chilliwack and uh, does a great job in Victoria. So I, I think you'll really enjoy listening to what John has to say and the, the questions that I ask him. Matthew Hawkins here with our local MLA. Mr. John Martin. Hey, morning, Matthew. Good to be here, and thanks for the uh, invitation. Yeah, thanks for coming. So tell us a little bit, of who are you? What do you do? What's what's going on? Well, right now, I'm a uh, member of the Legislative Assembly, and I represent the uh, riding of Chilliwack, and we're about halfway through the spring session of the legislative sitting in Victoria. We sat for six weeks. Uh, we're back in the riding for a couple, including the uh, Easter break. And then we have about another five or six weeks to uh, to go uh, after that. And uh, the, the bulk of the legislation that we're going to introduce is uh, already on the table. So there will be some further uh, further debates and uh, maybe a few more surprises in terms of the uh, bills coming forward. But uh, it's always nice to uh, get back into uh, into Chilliwack. Uh, so, you know, six solid weeks uh, away is uh, takes its toll and you fall behind on some files. So uh, looking forward to uh, getting out and about in my uh, in my town. Yeah, for sure. So aside from uh, politics, what else are you uh, you into, John? Well, you know, I came into uh, politics at a later point in life. I, I'd spent uh, 25 years uh, teaching criminal justice at the University of the Fraser Valley. And the uh, the political opportunity sort of came out of the blue. I really wasn't anticipating it, and I certainly didn't have a blueprint uh, for it uh, uh, several years ago, as many of my colleagues uh, would have had a long-term plan. Did, did like... So you never pictured yourself going into politics then? Now, I always thought I would be uh, someone who would be behind the scenes in terms of uh, strategizing and uh, speech writing, which I had done a little bit of before. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I never really uh, saw myself uh, in this uh, this particular uh, capacity. So it's a, it's a pleasant surprise how, uh, how much I enjoy it and throwing myself into it. Yeah. You're a bit of a front man and you're, you're out there and getting your face in front of people and... How do you find that? Yeah, I mean, I've got a career in uh, that expands back into theater and uh, background in uh, broadcasting. So I've always been uh, quite comfortable in front of the uh, the podium. My years lecturing to uh, uh, criminal justice uh, students. So uh, I've always been I've always been very comfortable with the public speaking aspect of it and uh, putting myself out there. But you know, there's nothing quite like. being in, uh, in in politics because uh, every time you go out you're uh, you're vulnerable uh, for something you or one of your colleagues may have uh, done or said so uh, yeah, there's always a lot always a lot of drama lurking behind the scenes right so if anyone watches uh, your videos online or follows you on Facebook there there tends to be a common trend uh, of what you're posting or saying in Parliament yeah well I'm uh, I'm very much uh, partisan in uh, terms of uh, my role in the uh, in the legislature uh, 
it's a, it's a, it's a healthy partisanship, and uh, it works both ways. And uh, as a member of the uh, the government uh, caucus, uh, we've we've got to give as much as we take. And uh, there can be a, a lot of uh, theatrics uh, in uh, question period and uh, during debate in the legislature, and some of it is uh, very uh, valuable for uh, moving democracy forward, and a lot of it is just uh, plain silly and uh, downright embarrassing. So you know we have we have a responsibility as uh, as legislators to, uh, to 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 represent the uh, the legacy of the. Uh, the uh, parliamentary system in a positive light and to uh, not uh, bring disrepute to it. And uh, every now and then uh, things get a little bit uh, nasty. You know, we're all human, tempers uh, do uh, do flare, and some of us uh, from time to time uh, spout out words that uh, a few minutes later we wish we could, uh, we wish we could take back. Um, but, uh, you know, as long as you're not being censored by the Speaker on a regular basis and uh, you still have the respect of uh, your colleagues on both sides of the House, as most of us, I think, do. We, uh, we, I think, think we're uh, doing uh, doing pretty well in in pushing forward the uh, the agenda and representing uh, the people of British Columbia. Yeah, for sure. Anything exciting going on right now uh, in legislature that uh, people might not know about? Well, most of the uh, the high profile uh, legislation that brought with it a lot of uh, drama uh, has already uh, happened for this term. I mean, the big one for us, and uh, you know, this is where it kind of. I'm going to shamelessly do a little back padding as we, uh, you know, we introduced our fourth consecutive budget and uh, no one else in Canada is coming close to doing that. And when you, when you, when you balance the budget, it's not just about bragging rights because what, what actually happens is the, uh, the, uh, the debt uh, lenders, the, the credit agencies, the bond agencies, by giving you a, a favorable ranking in their uh, their system we have we have the only AAA credit rating in the country what it means is we can borrow money for major hos- uh, capital projects hospitals schools bridges infrastructure we can borrow that money and amortize it long term at the most favorable rates uh, imaginable if we were running the type of uh, economy that you see in other parts of the uh, the, the, the country, particularly in Ontario, if we had their uh, their track record, we'd be uh, putting about another uh, 2.6 billion dollars into uh, interest rates instead of schools and hospitals. So, wow. so that's that, that's sort of the thing I'm most uh, proud of is uh, you know people entrust us to look after the finances, uh, uh, a lot of other uh, obligations as well. But uh, you know if you don't have your financial house in order, you can't do all of those other things in terms of uh, the delivery of. Uh, of uh, social services and infrastructure, and particularly helping those who uh, most uh, are in a position in their life where they they need a helping hand. Yeah, for sure. Um, You've recently taken on a new role in BC and as MLA here, tell us a little bit about that. Right, so I was very, uh, very happy to be uh, summoned uh, by the Premier to uh, come up to uh, Prince George during the Resource Forum, an annual event, three-day event up there. And uh, I was appointed the parliamentary secretary to uh, the Ministry of Forest Lands and Natural Resource Operations. And that's a massive, massive ministry. There's probably more breadth there than any other of the, uh, the portfolios. And uh, so we're dealing with uh, some very uh, tricky, very sensitive, controversial files, the uh, wildlife allocation, and uh, trying to, uh, to deal and address the uh, the, the needs of both the uh, resident hunters and the guide outfitters at the same time, and plus uh, being mindful of uh, conservation and uh, all of those other uh, things that go into the equation. And uh, probably the, the most important aspect of that file that has come uh, come on my desk is uh, flood protection, uh, particularly here in Chilliwack. Uh, we're, at the, we're at the front end. If something goes wrong, we're gonna, it's going to hit us first. Yeah. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, concern. 
uh, about the need to uh, to address uh, flood protection at various points, particularly along the Fraser, um, and and not just in the Fraser Valley elsewhere as well. But uh, so that's that's a huge one. And uh, anyone that uh, is a long-term resident of Chilliwack or has uh, parents or grandparents that grew up here uh, has some stories and photo albums that uh, are absolutely shocking. Yeah, for sure. So let's step let's step out of uh, let's step out of um, politics. Very happy to. Very happy to. <laughs> Thank you. What passion outside of work? Where where do you find your love and your time that you're? Well, one of the uh, my pursuits that I picked up in the last uh, ten years is uh, barbecue, and uh, I, I started spending uh, a bit of time, a fair bit of time actually, uh, well maybe uh, too much time uh, going down to uh, the barbecue belt in. Uh, in the United States, and particularly the Central Texas, and I, and I really fell in love not just with the barbecue itself, but with the whole culture around it, and uh, sort of the devotion that uh, generations of uh, of uh, people down there have uh, have, have had toward uh, perfecting their craft. I mean, the as, as much as the barbecue is seen as an American tradition, it actually precedes that. And what what Americans are barbecuing is really uh, a spin-off on the uh, the German and the Czech uh, immigrants that came there a long time ago and brought their sausage making skills yeah. uh, to the uh, communities. And so, kind of barbecue sort of grown out uh, in Texas, anyways. It's sort of kind of grown out of that tradition, but it uh, it, pre- it precedes uh, that uh, that migrant. Uh, activity as well so there's been a, an awful lot of uh, attention lately on uh, on barbecue uh, it used to be kind of a little you know well kept hidden secret no one used to really know the difference between grilling and barbecue and uh, but you know with the uh, the reality shows and the food network uh, it seems like every second person on the block has a, a smoker of one sort in their backyard. And, a smoker. Uh, so people have a smoker. How many do you have yeah, in your backyard? I, yeah, uh, so <laughs> I got, I got, I got, I got more than a couple. Uh, yeah, I got, uh, I got about eight or nine smokers. And, wow. Uh, you know, and some of them uh, are used for uh, specific types of meat, and some of them are used because I have a particular amount of people that I've been asked to feed. Yeah, so you have that one Weber. How how big is that thing? I've got a, I've got a few Webers, but I think you're talking about the ranch uh, kettle. Oh, it's the kettle. Okay. And that's uh, that's uh, about eleven hundred uh, square inches. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you can you can cook a small pig on that. Uh, and I've got a couple of the uh, Weber uh, uh, Smoky Mountain. Uh, cookers and yeah. uh, th- that's probably anyone who wants to just start off into uh, barbecue and they want to smoke probably the the surest way to get on the right track is to uh, pick up a Weber Rocky Mountain uh, Smoky Mountain rather um, they're, they're almost foolproof and uh, they, they just turn out fabulous food with a, uh, a minimum of, uh, of uh, babysitting and attention yeah for sure is uh, any of your smokers your favorite your go-to I, I like my uh, my ceramic. Uh, I like my egg. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nice thing about the, the ceramic smokers, which uh, basically are derived from the uh, Japanese Komodo uh, cookers, is that it doesn't matter what the elements are. It can be it can be raining. It can be snowing. Uh, your deck can uh, can maybe uh, be frozen over, and uh, the uh, the ceramic cooker will still hold two hundred and seventy five degrees for uh, six hours. With uh, with a couple scoops of uh, lump charcoal, if you want it to, so uh, there's um, they're, they're just so dependent, they're so reliable, and uh, there's not a lot of cooking space on it, so you're not gonna, gonna cook for a big crowd, but uh, it's uh, it, it, it's it's really special when you uh, you get that fire meeting smoke 
mm-hmm. and uh, you've got a uh, a good good piece of uh, piece of meat up there of uh, beef brisket or uh, maybe uh, some uh, some pork rib, and uh, just absolutely spectacular. I mean, For sure. Uh, yeah, the, the the dogs in the neighborhood uh, they always let they like me know it. that they're well aware we're uh, we're smoking. <laughs> and, is there any cut of meat that you prefer the most? You know, my my favorite is uh, beef ribs, and not those uh, small little uh, racks that uh, come off of uh, the, the uh, back of a uh, chuck. I, I like big beef ribs. I mean, these are from the primal cut, and there's usually like, three bones per rib, and each bone is uh, more than a meal for uh, for somebody. Oh, for sure. Uh, that's, that's that's my favorite, that and beef brisket. But uh, you know, when I'm cooking for people, they always want uh, baby back ribs. Yeah. Uh, up in uh, this part of the world, uh, people like baby back ribs, and they like them fairly sweet, and they they like them uh, incredibly tender. So, you, and you you will see these regional uh, preferences and differences as you go from one area of uh, of the country or uh, of other countries. Uh, you know, it's it's sort of it's sort of like bread and wine in parts of Europe. I mean, every hundred miles, the uh, the the complexity and the uh, the flavor profile of barbecue uh, t- tends to change. Yeah. And so there's nothing generic about it. It's uh, you're not going to get the same barbecue in one part of the country as the other. So it's always a regional uh, experience and exploration. So you've gone barbecue traveling. What? Where's your your number one place that you've you visited? Well, you know, the, apparently everyone will tell you on the internet that the very best barbecue is uh, Franklin's on uh, East 11th in Austin, Texas. And uh, it's notorious because uh, starting at uh, 6 in the morning, they uh, they line up, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes earlier than that. And uh, they, open at, uh, they open at 9, and they're usually sold out by uh, before lunchtime, and that's the close shop for the day. So I did that experience uh, once, and it was, it, was, it was very good. But my actual favorite uh, barbecue that I've ever had is at Snow's in, uh, in Lexington, Texas. And uh, Snow's, believe it or not, is uh, run by a woman who's the uh, janitor in the uh, local elementary school, and she only cooks one day a week, Saturday morning. So, <laughs> so you've got to go out to Lexington, and they start uh, serving barbecue about eight or nine in the morning, and again, it's all gone by noon. Yeah. Uh, but that's 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 the best I've ever had. And if I can come anywhere within the uh, the flavor uh, profile zone of the stuff that I've had at uh, at Snow's Barbecue, I uh, I'll be happy. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, living in Chilliwack and then working in Victoria, how do you find that, that travel schedule? How do you find the, what's that like for you? You you need to be, uh, kind of humble because as, as grueling as it can be for me, for my, my colleagues, uh, up in the peace country, uh, or, uh, up other parts of the uh, province that, uh, might have to catch uh, two flights, um, I've got it pretty easy. I mean, it's, it takes me an hour and 10 minutes to get from Chilliwack to Tawasson. Uh, always have a, a very relaxing uh, ferry ride to, uh, to Schwartz Bay and spectacular scenery uh, on, the, uh, on the ferry. But, you know, you're away from home a lot. Uh, you know, this uh, past six weeks, I've probably been in my own bed 10 times, uh, probably less than that. Um, during those six weeks, instead of coming home on the weekend, I've gone up to Prince George, I've gone to Ottawa, mm-hmm. and turn around and come straight back to uh, to Victoria. And you, you kind of get creative with uh, the fact that, uh, wow, I wish I packed a couple more dress shirts, and, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, so uh, it, it, it it's a grind. I'm I'm away from my wife uh, a lot uh, a lot of the time. Uh, I got two. Uh, beautiful little Sheltie pups that uh, we just love each other uh, to pieces and uh, you know sometimes they uh, 
they get a little bit uh, lonesome. Uh, I think uh, you heard the story. I had been away for a little while. I came home and one of them bit me. And, and, yeah, so that was uh, that was kind of interesting. I so. more than heard the story. I saw your finger. It <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> was a nasty little bite on your finger. Yeah, so uh, anyways, we, uh, you know, we, ma- we made peace after that. And we seem to be getting along uh, so far. But uh, he's just uh, laid down his uh, my marching orders. Uh, you don't stay away uh, from home that often. <laughs> So you also have a, a passion for music too, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I was a huge, huge uh, record collector as soon as I could afford to start buying records. Uh, my uh, my very first album I ever bought, uh, and I still love it to this day, is uh, for uh, the long play uh, Nancy Sinatra. These boots are made for walking, <laughs> and uh, and I've been a been collector ever since. When I uh, when I got out of uh, high school. I uh, I went to uh, BCIT and I did their two year uh, broadcast journalism program and I uh, went uh, went to work in the uh, small towns of the Caribou and the interior and the radio stations and wherever I wherever I went because of my uh, kind of background knowledge of uh, all uh, genres of music they would uh, they would inevitably make me the music director and uh, you know there's nothing more I liked back in those days coming into the uh, office in the morning. And there's uh, there's 20 new records uh, sitting on my desk, and uh, my uh, part of my job was to uh, give them a preview and see if we were going to put them into circulation for airplay or not. That sounds pretty rough. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's a uh, it's it's a good way to get exposed to uh, all types of uh, all types of music. And I was always a fanatic, going to as many concerts as I could. And as a kind of a struggling uh, guitar player. Uh, and I never, uh, never kind of got the, uh, the rewards for the many hours I put in. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a clunker. I can, uh, I can play along with most people. And uh, my wife is a uh, very, very talented musician. So uh, we, have, we have fun together uh, with that. But uh, yeah, music's always been an uh, incredibly uh, big part of my life. And sort of my, you know, if I had to identify some of the all-time uh, my favorites, uh, you got the uh, Bobby Dylan, Neil Young, Grateful Dead. Uh, Steve Earle, Towns Van Zandt, Guy Clark, Jerry Jeff Walker, uh, you know, quite a quite a quite across uh, across the spectrum. Yeah. So, what would you say is your most favorite song to play yourself? Oh wow, maybe uh, maybe we'll come back to that one as we uh, keep on talking. Something <laughs> something will uh, something will rattle. One, one of the ones I really like lately is uh, it's it's not uh, widely known, but it's called the Hurricane Song, and it's uh, it was written. Uh, by uh, James McMurtry, uh, he's from Austin. James McMurtry is a really interesting uh, fellow. His uh, his father wrote the whole Lonesome Dove series, and his uh, mother is a professor of linguistics at the University of Texas. And so you can imagine this guy grew up around words, and uh, when you when you when you're looking at uh, the lyrics to uh, James McMurtry's songs, I mean you're you're basically reading a novelette. It's it's just incredible how much he is able to. Uh, uh, fit into a four and a half five minute uh, piece. So he's got one the the hurricane hurricane party that uh, yeah, I particularly like playing and what the, where that comes from is along the Gulf Coast uh, When the hurricanes approaching as they tend to do what the locals would uh, do is they'd gather around inside one person in one person's house and uh, they know that they're going to be without lights they're going to be without power and it would be uh, basically neighbors and friends bunkering down together and weathering out another uh, another hurricane. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's something that uh, most of us who don't live in the, that part of the world will never ever experience. Yeah, for sure. So uh, let's see. Kind of going back and forth here with your um, your MLA job. 
Um, what would you say are your biggest uh, challenges and rewards being an MLA? Well, the, one of the, uh, the very unique aspects of, uh, of, of this job is the, the many hats you wear. I mean, when you're, when you're in Victoria, you're a legislator, you're, you're, you're a political animal. Um, when you're back in the riding, it's very different. Uh, in some ways, you're a, you're a social worker, you're a mediator, you're a deal broker. Um, trying to uh, help people uh, make their problems go away because uh, I mean sometimes it's, it's frustrating for me dealing with uh, parts of the uh, the bureaucracy and I have a pretty good understanding how it's structured so for someone just uh, coming in out of the blue when they have an issue uh, with uh, uh, with uh, with healthcare or with WorkSafe or with uh, benefits um, or with uh, prescription uh, prescription uh, drugs. It, it can be incredibly intimidating, frustrating for someone to uh, work through that. So at the end of the day, when you, when you can help someone's problem go away that's been causing them undue stress and grief for sometimes for many years, uh, so it's, a, it's a really good feeling. Because the nice thing when in, in this capacity, if I, if I make a phone call, I'm usually going to have my call taken. And while we certainly can't intervene where we don't have any uh, authority to do so, uh, we're, we're often able to find the answers and find uh, some solutions that uh, most people would be very uh, hard-pressed to, uh, to come across. So, so that's, that's incredibly uh, gratifying. I mean, obviously, when you, when you get a big win, uh, that uh, the, you know, not something gets knocked out of the park. I mean, that's a great feeling. One, one, of, the, one of the greatest days in the short term I've been in MLA is uh, when uh, the, uh, the incinerator uh, project in the Lower Mainland got uh, basically squashed. Right. And because there's an enormous uh, concern in this part of uh, the province, the Eastern Fraser Valley, about the, uh, the air shed quality and what a second incinerator might do to that. So when that project got uh, basically uh, shut down, or may, may revive itself down the road, but uh, that, was, that was a good day. That was a good day. There was a lot yeah, of high, sure. high-fiving going on uh, at all levels of uh, government. Good stuff. Um, there's a, an illusion uh, that the general public seems to have where people in politics, whether local, provincial, federal, that uh, you guys are untouchable, unaccessible. You guys are off on la-di-da, doing your thing. You've, I would say, from my opinion, um, and I don't know if I'm just setting you up here to, to pat your own back too, but you've really tried to break that barrier. Yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, you're you're accountable to uh, to the people in your uh, in your constituency, and uh, you know every four years we have something I like to call uh, the uh, shareholders meeting. And um, if if you're not uh, doing your job, if you're not meeting people, if you're not fielding questions from the community, um, it's it's a it's a tough place to be. I mean, uh, we're we're supposed to be accessible. I mean, that's why we have constituency offices. Uh, that's why we have uh, our websites, and you can go on there and you can submit a question uh, to the MLA. And what I like to do to uh, augment that uh, is uh, every every uh, fourth sat fourth Saturday, roughly, I'll hold a uh, coffee meeting in one of the local coffee shops for for an hour or so, and it's just drop in anything that's on a person's mind, even if nothing's on their mind, just come on in and have a coffee and chat about what's going on. But uh, you know, it gets it gets me outside of uh, my office, and for a lot of people who are busy uh, nine to five, uh, Monday through Friday, and uh, would never think of phoning up the MLA to uh, bring a concern, this is just an opportunity uh, through downtown, very casually, to uh, come in and uh, 
uh, bring up an issue, ask a question, uh, seek information. So, uh, you know, we've, we've got a job to be uh, visible. We've got a job to, uh, it's part of our job to be, uh, be accessible. And uh, that's probably easier now than it has been in the past with, uh, with social media and uh, the, uh, the many opportunities uh, uh, one has to uh, dialogue with uh, constituents that might not have existed in the past. So I don't think there's any excuse for a public official to, uh, to not, be, uh, not be visible, not be accessible. Um, you know, if, if, if you don't want to uh, interact with uh, your constituents, you should be in another line of work. Yeah, for sure. Um, and aside from like Java with John, um, you're you're out there in the community a fair bit. Like, if anyone goes on like your Instagram feed or Facebook page, they can see pretty quickly you're you're visiting and. Yeah, the t- the, t- the toughest thing about uh, for my uh, my constituent assistant in terms of uh, scheduling my calendar is uh, he's he's, he's got to say no to uh, <laughs> a number of events because there's there's always two or three things going on in the same evening, particularly on a Friday or a Saturday. And uh, you know, so if we have to uh, decline a uh, uh, an invitation or an opportunity one uh, for one event, we'll we'll make sure that next year that's the one that we uh, we get to. So we try to spread ourselves uh, across as many events and many different types of events and uh, different parts of the uh, the riding. I mean, this is a fairly we it's classified as a uh, semi urban riding but it, you know it has some rural aspects to it as well so i like to, i like to uh, get to uh, all points of the uh, the riding uh, i always particularly enjoy my time in uh, in yarrow uh, it's just such a such a wonderful uh, community and uh, sense of uh, sense of neighborliness and uh, community mindedness is uh, spectacular there greendale as well um up in uh, you know other other parts of the uh, other parts of the riding so I, I try to be as available for uh, for events and for for public meetings and stuff uh, as uh, as I can, uh, other than downtown Chilliwack. And you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's nice to uh, cover the whole whole breadth. Yeah. But it's a it's a great community to be able to uh, engage in that type of uh, outreach and uh, making those connections. Yeah, I, mean, sure. I, I know more people uh, today than uh, I ever thought I would in my lifetime. <laughs> so switching it up to local happenings. Um, you live in Chilliwack. You're you're familiar with Chilliwack. Um, recently, well, last year, maybe a little bit more. A lot of you know petty theft, property crime. W- what's your take on what's going on in in downtown Chilliwack? And, and well, it's not even just downtown Chilliwack. Chilliwack in general. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few different uh, things at play there. Um, every downtown of every small and medium-sized community is experiencing the same thing to some degree and uh, you know what what we saw back in the 80s was there was this sort of exodus from downtown and uh, you saw this sort of flight of uh, residents and commercial uh, activities uh, leaving downtown and going out to the uh, the strip plazas and the mall and uh, you know part of that is uh, there were security concerns I mean if you if if you have your uh, delicatessen on uh, in a little strip uh, strip mall, uh, you and the other um, entrepreneurs there uh, can share the cost of uh, some private security. Uh, uh, downtown, you can't really do that. Uh, it's public space, and uh, so you when you saw businesses abandoning downtown, you started seeing 
regular uh, contributing uh, members of society leaving downtown as well. And, and you started seeing certain elements kind of claiming parts of downtown for their own. And and uh, there was a sort of this the decay of the downtown and this uh, neglect and an abandonment. And uh, so decade uh, or two later, there's all these efforts to reclaim downtown, to revitalize downtown, to refurbish downtown. And uh, it's it's difficult because there's uh, there's people that have uh, basically uh, set up uh, set up roots there, and uh, in some cases there's uh, you know undesirable elements, and we we have issues uh, around uh, around vandalism, theft, uh, addiction, uh, mental health, uh, the uh, street sex trade, uh, young runaways, uh, homelessness. Uh, you know there, there's a plethora of uh, of different pathologies that go into uh, the the problems that downtowns are facing, and uh, Chilliwack's not going to be uh, be immune to them. Uh, we're going to have to be uh, very creative, innovative, and uh, very uh, thoughtful and proactive uh, how we uh, how we deal with this because it's uh, it's not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, for sure. Any ideas what uh, what needs to be done? What what we can do? Well. A number of years ago, you saw sort of a global trend of deinstitutionalization, where the uh, types of facilities that uh, were depicted in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, all of a sudden there's just sort of this recognition that, you know, that's, that's not acceptable anymore, this, uh, this, this confining uh, people who haven't necessarily committed any serious crimes. And at the same time, you had, uh, particularly in the United States, you had a number of uh, the civil liberty uh, groups uh, having bringing legal action against different levels of government uh, because they were confining people in these uh, these asylums, basically. And uh, so governments were so quick and relieved to get out of uh, the business of housing the the mentally uh, the mentally ill and people with uh, serious addiction, mental health issues. And the, the notion was that we're going to close down these facilities and instead we'll bring in these uh, innovative uh, models of uh, community care and community supervision. Uh, but of course, the resources, uh, uh, the corresponding resources weren't there once these facilities closed. So you had this uh, sort of emptying of these mental health facilities and these people just uh, coming, uh, coming into the communities uh, without uh, someone uh, monitoring their, uh, their medication or the behavior. And they uh, ultimately became a, a problem for the uh, for the police and for the courts, and that's really not what the police are uh, historically have been trained to uh, deal with. It certainly uh, certainly wasn't a major part of their mandate when they uh, probably signed on to uh, go to uh, go to their initial training. So we're all playing catch up with uh, with the situation that uh, we created, and uh, you're you're seeing some headway. I mean in in various parts of the uh, the province, uh, the the housing for the homeless and the mentally ill and the the addicted, uh, the great strides are being made, and uh, facilities. The government's purchasing these facilities, refurbishing them, mm-hmm. and providing uh, low income housing for uh, for the hard to house. Uh, but uh, but of course it's uh, it's it's never enough, and there's always uh, always a wait list, and uh, there's always a need to uh, to do more, and uh, that's that's the challenge, and we 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 fa- we all face it every uh, every part of the country uh, to do that. But uh, yeah, there's a handful of people that took the lead uh, on that, and it's uh, it's 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 a great example of uh, how a community can 
begin to take care of its problems. I mean, if any community says, "Well, we're just going to wait for the government to look after this," it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, it, it's, uh, it's never going to come about that way. So you, you, you need that interest uh, from, uh, from the grassroots. Yeah. So basically, we need people from basically all elements of society rising up and not trying to push just their own angle. Like I come from a bit of a, a faith background, so I know what what they can be like. Um, basically having everyone from every element stepping up and saying, okay, we need to, to solve this problem because I like what you said there with, don't just sit back and wait for the government to do it. Because if you read anything on social media, people will say, where's the mayor? Why aren't they doing anything? And why isn't the government stepping up? And Because that's pretty easy to do is sit back and and point fingers so yeah the um you know again in this community you've got the success story of ruth and naomi's and uh you know obviously they're always uh struggling with uh with with funding and their uh, their actual business model but uh, the 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 level of service that uh, that facility turns out and the uh the countless hours that uh, the people associated with it uh, put mm-hmm. in to uh to do what's right for uh some people that are in a point in their life where they uh, can't take care of themselves uh, so it's it's an invaluable service, and uh, again, it's it's the Ruth and Naomi's is, is a product of uh, that collaboration between uh, for profit, non for profit, different levels of government, uh, as I say, the faith, the faith community, and uh, people that have just uh, basically devoted uh, their, uh, their their life to uh, making a, making a difference in their community. And, uh, yeah. and hats off to them because uh, for sure we would uh, we would have a lot more problems if it if it wasn't for. Uh, the people that uh, that put in such uh, such a uh, great uh, great work into these projects. So, for the people that are out there um, in Chilliwack, uh, that they know things aren't good, they know things are 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 falling apart a bit, um, and they want to see change. What would you What would you say to them? What What do they go do? Because I I'm sure there's people out there that they want to see change, but they don't know what they can do as an individual. Well, there's there's so many opportunities to uh, to volunteer. In, uh, in 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 Chilliwack, and uh, you know, one of the things I like my office uh, uh, does is uh, we'll put on uh, these um, lunch and learn sessions where I'll bring in an expert to help uh, nonprofits uh, do better uh, better fundraising mm-hmm. or better uh, volunteer recruitment and retention. Um, you know, because uh, there's uh, there, there's a need to uh, not just have the interest and the passion, uh, but to be able to maintain. Uh, a uh, a nonprofit, and uh, you know it's it's tough. There's more of them, and uh, there's there's more of them uh, competing, uh, putting in, submitting grants for the same uh, kind of static uh, pile of uh, funding that might be available, and uh, the uh, there's more of an emphasis on the the nonprofits uh, being somewhat self-sustaining. I mean, it, there's probably a gala uh, fundraiser event going on every second uh, weekend. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout most of the year, sometimes uh, sometimes more than that. So it's uh, you know it's 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 an ongoing it's an ongoing challenge, and uh, you want to make sure that uh, your uh, your fundraisers, your the people that write the applications for the grants, the people that uh, train, coordinate uh, uh, volunteers, really know what they're doing. So I, I like my office to be able to uh, bring in and share some of. Uh, some expertise uh, to uh, be helpful in that capacity. And so if you're looking to get out there, basically 
just find a place you can volunteer. I'm sure there's, anyone's yeah, willing to. There, there's there's no shortage. Community services. Uh, the, the list goes on and on. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's uh, endless endless opportunity. Yeah. But uh, but again, you know, we're working with uh, we're volu- It's easy to get volunteers, uh, but but uh, keeping them uh, and uh, having uh, the volunteers. Uh, uh, feel appreciated. Uh, you know, sometimes that's uh, that's a mm-hmm. bit of a bit of a challenge because sometimes people in that that are giving their time because they believe in something. Um, there needs to be a validation uh, of that as well. Yeah. And uh, so that's uh, that's something that uh, the more successful nonprofits uh, understand, and uh, and it's good when they can uh, can share that uh, that familiarity. Yeah, for sure. Um, spending so much time in Victoria, where what's uh, some some hot spots that people can can check out when they're uh, visiting our province's capital. Well, keeping in mind my, you know, for for us in Victoria, I mean, we uh, we usually have a uh, breakfast uh, meeting, and uh, we're done at about uh, ten o'clock. Uh, sometimes uh, earlier, sometimes later. So we don't we don't uh, actually get out uh, much. But uh, I've got I've, I've I've got a long uh, familiarity with Victoria. I used to have a have a place there. I used to spend a lot of time there. Uh, I probably actually uh, knew Victoria better before uh, I ever uh, became an MLA and spent half the year over there. But uh, one of the one of the things that's uh, a little bit uh, tragic is that one of the most famous landmarks in uh, Victoria, the uh, the Bengal Lounge in the uh, world famous Empress Hotel, is uh, closing next month, uh. and that's always been the landmark. Uh, and it you know it dates back to uh, colonial days and. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of symbolic of uh, of a of an era that maybe uh, a lot of people don't want to uh, recall with a great degree of fondness, and so that place is uh, is closing. And uh, but it's it's one of the most uh, famous watering holes. Uh, any any anyone that's uh, spent uh, more than uh, a few days in Victoria has probably had opportunity to uh, to come across it. Uh, but the other thing uh, in Victoria that uh, it's 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 a great walking town. Um, you know the uh, that walk along the inner harbor where you can basically uh, go starting uh, right across in the legislature if you want and uh, you can walk all the way around uh, past the uh, past the marina past the seaplanes the float planes uh, just just absolutely beautiful uh, opportunity I, I far far prefer that to uh, Vancouver's uh, Stanley Park seawall I mean I think right. it's a much uh, much nicer stroll there and uh, the other one uh, thing about uh, Victoria that uh, unfortunately some people miss is it's got one of the most authentic old time oldest uh, Chinatowns that's uh, still uh, still active. Uh, uh, great uh, great food, great walking tour, uh, incredible amount of history uh, still in those few uh, few blocks. But it's uh, yeah, it's one of the best uh, best Chinatowns in uh, in North America, and uh, you know well uh, well worth putting some uh, some time in. And uh, if anyone uh, is a, uh, a bit of a beer geek, uh, there's there's no better place in the country to uh, explore craft ale than uh, in um, in Victoria. Maybe it might not be on par with uh, Portland or Denver, but uh, it's by far and away the best in uh, in Canada. Uh, Spinnaker's was the very first brew pub in the country, by the way, and mm-hmm. uh, so they're still in existence. The beautiful facility right on the uh, right on the harbor, right on the waterfront. Uh, you've got Swan's Brew Pub, uh, not too far from that downtown, right across from the, John- the uh, Blue Bridge on Johnson. 
Um, but uh, you know, you got you got Phillips and uh, Hoyne. Uh, there's there's just so much great uh, great craft uh, craft ale going on in that uh, in that town. So it's, just uh, right there, it sounds like you. That's a busy week right there. Walking the a, harbor and Chinatown yeah. and brew pubs. Yeah, and... I, t- I tell you, when, like one of the really nicest things if you do have a day off or a few hours is uh, you pop into uh, Swan's. Uh, Swan's Brew Pub and have a have have a pint there and right across from Swan's Brew Pub is uh, the Goodfellow Cigar Shop and uh, like a like a nice cigar once in a while and uh, get a cigar there and you cross the Blue Bridge and you can go for a walk along the harbor and just taking in the sights and coincidentally they uh, the difference between the uh, Spinnaker's Brew Pub and Swan's Brew Pub is exactly one cigar so uh, yeah. yeah and uh, so at the end of that nice cigar you. Uh, you got the opportunity to go and uh, cleanse your palate with a uh, nice, uh, nice ale from uh, from from Spinnakers as well. So it's a, it's a it's a great hike. It's a, it's a fun 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 place to be. I, I, I love Victoria. It's uh, it's got a lot of uh, a lot of history, a lot of character. Uh, way more restaurants than you'll ever uh, ever be able to uh, get a uh, get a handle on. Mm-hmm. And uh, but, you know it's a, it's it's a walking town. People are people are outdoors. Uh, it's a it's a university town. Um, so it's a great place to be. Good stuff. Uh, neighbors to the south, things are a little interesting right now with uh, the lead up to November with the presidential race. Uh, you have any thoughts on Donald Trump? Uh, the the whole situation with the uh, the the primaries down there is just it's just fascinating. I mean, I I know pe- people that uh, one election cycle ago probably never. Uh, Never even had a clue what the primary system was. Are uh, are tuning into it uh, almost like it's a uh, you know a sporting uh, a sporting event. But you know we've been we've been moving in this direction for a while, where politics uh, has been run more and more along the lines of a uh, of an entertainment model, and uh, getting uh, getting the sound bites and getting the attention and getting the uh, getting focus of the uh, the media the. The, the the methods have changed so so dramatically. I mean, I mean, I think you know Donald Trump is a uh, kind of a an ex, you know a very extreme metaphor for the the whole system because it's it's been it's been going that that way for a uh, a long time. I mean, probably the person that broke the uh, the mold uh, for the way uh, old time politics was done was uh, when uh, Bill Clinton uh, showed up on the Jay Leno uh, show and played saxophone uh, with, the, with the band like yeah. no you you weren't you weren't going to see previous uh, uh, presidents of the United States uh, doing going on the talk show circuit uh, yeah. so when the you know and again uh, like uh, the you you have you have the president uh, Obama right now uh, on the talk show on talk shows uh, entertainment shows and uh, yeah, so so uh, you know Trump's another uh, another piece to uh, the whole uh, evolution of uh, politics becoming uh, an entertainment sport uh, yeah. and uh, but uh, yeah it'll be I'm I'm fascinated I've never uh, been uh, as uh, engrossed in uh, watching where a uh, where a presidential race is going. Yeah. Uh, then this uh, this one is uh, it's so polarized. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's interesting because you've got uh, as much opposition to Trump from within the uh, the Republican as uh, his uh, his opponents across the uh, the way, and uh, his uh, his numbers just uh, keep improving the more the establishment uh, uh, turns on him. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, that's kind of interesting, and it was also very fascinating on the uh, on the other side. Uh, 
that uh, someone like uh, Bernie Sanders for, for a while, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Hillary's the inevitable nominee, but uh, for a while there, it looked like someone who had none of the credentials, none of the pedigree, none of the history, or that uh, you would have expected a uh, Democratic uh, nominee to have. It looked for a while there, it looked like he was uh, he was maybe going to uh, snatch it away. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's a different system there with the delegate system, the superdelegate system. Um, you know, I'm, I, I, I prefer our, uh, our, our our system up here to... Uh, well, that's good, that. since you're in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to be campaigning for two years uh, yeah. to uh, go into an election cycle. So you're, you're getting... You're, you're in your first term right now. Um, are you going to be looking to move into a second term? I, I am. I'm actually in the process of uh, putting my nomination uh, package together to return to uh, to return to headquarters. I, I very uh, much want to uh, be the uh, BC Liberal candidate in the uh, 2017 uh, uh, race. Uh, very, very, uh, very much forward. Uh, my wife is 100 uh, percent supportive, uh, and that's really, uh, really key. And uh, you know, basically, uh, if I didn't run again, I would uh, have to give myself an incomplete. And uh, because there's there's more stuff uh, there's more stuff to be done. Yeah, and a lot of the uh, the big projects that uh, we'd like to see uh, come to fruition, uh, we're, we're we're still working on. Yeah. So, uh, if you get elected for your, your second term, um, what what are some of those big projects that you're you're hoping to see uh, continue and and move forward? What are the, what are the biggest uh, uh, challenges in Chilliwack? Is uh, Obviously, with the amount of growth we're having, uh, transportation corridors and the that that uh, bottleneck around Lickman mm-hmm. is uh, it's it's in dire need of uh, uh, being uh, being attended to, and you know that that Lick, Lickman uh, that, that was a like a, a truck stop in the '60s, and the uh, the exit ramp uh, maybe served the purpose uh, for uh, for a while there, but I mean you've you've got two hotels in there. Uh, you've got some major, major uh, light industrial and heavy industrial uh, activity taking place. Um, the amount of uh, truck traffic is uh, is absolutely mind-boggling. And then plus you have all the residents uh, uh, having to, because of the new uh, developments uh, mm-hmm. not far from that area, um, they have to um, meander, make their way through that as well. So it's, yeah. it's, ju- it's just getting so unwieldy. So there's a, there's a couple of different models the province has been speaking to with the, uh, uh, with the city planning on uh, uh, how we might be able to, uh, to accommodate more, 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 more volume and uh, move, move them through a little bit quicker and maybe in a little uh, less stressful uh, situation. Yeah. So that, that's, a, that's a huge one. If, uh, you know, we can get that uh, that uh, fast tracked. I mean, it's going to happen eventually, but uh, yeah. I'd like to see it sooner rather than uh, than later. So that's uh, that's 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 huge. Yeah, and, and yeah, the other the other big thing is uh, we need to bring uh, resources to the area for uh, flood protection. Yeah, um, you know, we're we're vulnerable. We're in the plain. We know that, and uh, you know, so we look what happened in Alberta uh, a few years ago. Yeah, uh, we don't want to uh, anyone to ever have to experience that. So. That's uh, that's a huge challenge. Yeah, for sure. We we talked about it earlier, but uh, you said something might rattle around in the brain of yours. Uh, favorite songs that uh, you like to play on guitar? Yeah, the um, I like the finger picking style of uh, John Prine, uh, Towns Van Zant, and uh, Steve Earle's probably uh, kind of combine those. Um, I, I far prefer uh, finger picking to uh, playing with a uh, traditional uh, pick and. Uh, 
I'd, I'd rather pull uh, pull individual notes out than uh, than hit chords at the same time. Uh, some so uh, the old the old time blues, uh, Lightning Hopkins in per, in, in particular. Uh, one man, one guitar, and uh, you, he, he doesn't need backing. You don't. He doesn't need to be that accompaniment. Um, so I'm never going to uh, be anywhere near that uh, that quality of a picker. But uh, when I uh, play with my wife, who's a very very good uh, dobro uh, steel guitar player, uh, I, I, I love the old time blues. It's it's so it's so stripped. It's so honest. Uh, it, uh, it, it it's such a it tells such uh, such wonderful stories. And uh, you know, music music should be uh, a lot more about uh, being able to just hum the melody after a song. It should it should take you places. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it should uh, it should be part of a journey. And uh, whether it takes you to another land or it takes you to another era, uh, it's supposed it's supposed to move us. And I don't think anything. Uh, does it quite as well as like Mississippi John Hurt, uh, Lightning Hopkins, uh, people of that genre. So that's uh, that's kind of the stuff that I uh, like uh, particularly like playing. Um, you know, there, there's others that do that uh, that do that, but I, I don't think quite as uh, quite as well as uh, the or, the originals. Um, I love I love playing Copperhead uh, Road on mandolin. That's uh, yeah. it's only a, I don't play a lot of mandolin, but. Uh, that uh, that's that's a, always a fun piece to uh, to blurt out at a at a jam night. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, John, I appreciate you uh, coming and sitting down in around town in Chilliwack and spending some time with us. This is great, and uh, you know, I love I love what you're doing here, and uh, you know, I I, I, I love that uh, the traditional media is uh, being challenged by uh, independent uh, people like yourself, and uh, by new technologies and new delivery services of uh, information and in entertainment. And uh, this is uh, this this is the first time I've ever done uh, one of these uh, podcasts, and uh, it's uh, it's great. And I thank thank you so much for uh, the effort uh, that has obviously gone into setting something like this up. No problem. Thanks for thanks for being on.